Welcome back to episode two of our Christian Living series. In this series, we are taking the Beatitudes and we are looking to see what Jesus has to say about living a good life. What is it made of? What does it look like? Big questions. Questions we need to know the answer to. I haven't always been a Christ follower, so this has been a big question to me over the years. You know, even though I I grew up following mainstream Christianity, this whole idea that Christianity is really a lifestyle was completely foreign to me until I was in my early 20s. Growing up, my family, we went to church, but we were Sunday morning Christians, doing our due diligence to show up at the house of God on Sunday mornings. Not super consistent, but we were there, off and on, checking the box and then moving on with whatever we wanted to do all the other days of the week. It's just what we knew. It's just what we did. Growing in our relationship with the Lord over the years, though, God has challenged our thinking and stirred us to realize, wait a second, there's more to this. As a result, our lives have radically changed. My journey to follow Jesus didn't start until I was almost 20 years old. Prior to that point, I thought a good life meant having a boyfriend and a party to go to. I thought to experience life meant I had to reach a level of intoxication, and my relationship status always had to be noted as taken. I mean, why wouldn't a person think that? There are ads and images everywhere showing us happiness in both of these elements. There are so many voices in our ear telling us what a good life looks like. This isn't a new thing in 2022. While the avenues we hear this may be changing as time has changed, the voices saying I have the answer have not. So which one do we listen to? Where do we start? Well, we start where truth has always emanated. We start with Jesus. The definition of Christian is a Christ follower. So to live as a Christian, it only makes sense that we look to him rather than listening to all these voices around us. Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord, but I am also a woman who makes mistakes doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus. And in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. We are journeying through the Beatitudes. Last episode, we kicked things off. We talked about how the Beatitudes are hard. They're difficult. And they're difficult because they are so countercultural. We defined blessed. We looked at what does the dictionary say? We compared it to what does God say? What is his definition of blessed? In that, to find that, we went back to Genesis and we discovered that this is what it means. It means to experience prosperity, peace, and fulfillment. As we're walking through this, we are learning that these beatitudes, they lay out for us a process. 
No, guys, it's not checkboxing, one and done sort of thing. It's continuous. And all of these statements are connected, leading us into the next. And just when you think you're done, there at the very end, no, guys, we go back around. We keep going through this deeper and deeper and deeper. Because if you have read through your Bible in its entirety one time, you realize if you take the challenge on to go through it another time, you sit there and you are just like, oh my goodness, how did I not catch this the first time? It is the exact same thing. Whenever we go through these, we find it's like digging a trench. You can always go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's more that God wants to reveal to us as we journey in this lifelong relationship with him. And if with this, yes, we're talking about how the Beatitudes, they correlate to Christian living, but really what this is, is it's it's God refining our character. These are Christian characteristics that God desires of all of us. And guys, some of them are easier to take than others. And it, it's just so absolutely amazing and mind-blowing when we really allow this, this sandpaper molding um, of sorts to happen to us. With the first episode we reviewed, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We also, we looked at what was the second beatitude. It said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Guys, we are poor in spirit when we recognize our need for God. We are utterly dependent on him for everything. This, when we recognize that that is our actual state, our true state. This draws us naturally to a state of repentance where we mourn our self-sufficiency. And this leads us straight into our next B attitude where we, guys, we're continuing this on. True repentance, true repentance, not just, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to keep on doing what I did, but I'm, I feel bad about it. No, true repentance where, where we reach that state where, God, I have, I have got this wrong. I am sinning and I do not want to do this thing anymore where we we're going one direction. We stop, we ask for God's forgiveness, and then we ask for his strength to turn us around and go completely the opposite direction. That's what true repentance is. True repentance leads us to a place where we surrender control to God. The amplified version of the Bible says repentance in Acts 2.38 means to change your old way of thinking, to turn, literally turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah. First up today, we are gonna talk about embracing meekness and a culture where assertiveness and aggressiveness are promoted, are esteemed, are said to be, this is what we should all be striving for. This is the way that we should act. No, guys, the third B attitude, the one that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted will naturally lead us to, it tells us blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Stopping to process for a second, what does a meek person look like to you? Throughout my life, I have been called meek and I will tell you that I have never enjoyed being called that until I allowed God to open up my mind to see what he says about meekness. Um, whenever we look to different areas in the world and the way that that word is used, 
it is absolutely used to describe weakness. But here's what I have come to find is that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. So before we dive into that, I want you to think about what does what does your mind naturally say to you? What does a meek person look like to you? Are they cowering? Are they afraid? Are they unsure of who they are? Because guys, I will tell you that that is what I used to think. And I used to be so offended. And maybe that was who I used to be. And, and maybe that would have been a right uh, definition according to those terms for me. But guys, like I said, the more God opens up my mind to what meekness really is, that is absolutely not what this means at all. That is not the picture that we should have coming into, into our mind whenever someone drops that word. What meekness really is, when you look it up, is meekness is, is contentment with who you are and with where God has called you. Meekness is contentment with who you are and with where God has called you. Here's an example. Jesus, he had the power to do anything he wanted, yet he allowed betrayal and death. That, guys, is a perfect picture of meekness. For him to allow this to happen, he wasn't cowering, afraid, curled up in some dark corner somewhere. No. For him to allow this to happen, it it required self-control, submission, and, and surrender to a level that none of us have ever experienced or seen demonstrated around us. Our culture tends to teach us those who are meek are weak. But guys, again, to say that meekness is weakness, when we, we think about this, when we read about this, when we consider our Lord... And the example that he laid out for us, that is absolutely absurd. Someone who is meek understands the power of mourning and brokenness. Just as we talked about last week in those original words, the penthos and tokos, those, those words that we mentioned last week, they understand the power of those two components and submission to authority. No one wants to talk about submission at all, but... I'm sorry, we have to talk about it if we ever want to be a true follower of Christ. This understanding, having this understanding of this, it produces within a person gentleness and peace. And that gentleness and that peace, it brings life to those that are around us. It, it does. It illuminates. It, 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 it breaks something in the atmosphere. And it ushers in gentleness and peace. The Greek word for meek is praise. That there's two dots over the Y. I have no clue how to, how to pronounce it, but this is what we're going with today. This word is used to describe a soothing medicine and a gentle breeze. It was also used in reference to taming wild animals. Think about, think about that. Something once wild has been tamed. When I read that definition, my mind, it automatically jumps to when we receive the Holy Ghost and when we speak with other tongues, you know, that wild tongue has finally been tamed. Something once wild has now been tamed. Meekness is power under control. 
It's submitting strength to someone who can put that power to greater use. Matthew chapter 26 verses 47 through 68 says this, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And wherewith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, where art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled, and they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And at the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us where thou be the Christ, whether thou be the Son of whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the man, Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold now, ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face, and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? When we, after we read these, we've just read all of these scriptures. When Jesus was being arrested and put on trial, how did he display a meek spirit? He didn't answer them. He had all power to, to stop all of this, and he held his peace. He was waiting for those scriptures of the prophet, those those words of the prophets to be fulfilled. He could have called 12 legions of angels, and yet he held his peace. He did not say a word. What could he have done? He could have stopped it all. I just said he could have called the angels to stop, yet he didn't. Let's look at these verses. And let's think about how, how do these help us to understand what meekness is? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 6 
Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Psalms chapter 37, verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Um, Zephaniah chapter three, verse 12 says, I shall leave in your midst a meek and humble people and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. What we just read, Paul just explained to us that our weapons are not carnal. They're not what we expect them to be. It's paradoxical, just as we're showing that these beatitudes, they're not what our natural self reaches for. In Psalms, it says that those people that are are meek, they're not running to arguments. They're not puffing themselves up. They're not prideful. No, guys, they're reaching. They're delighted in peace, not in drama. They're delighting themselves in peace. Zephaniah just said that people that are meek, they trust in the name of the Lord. They don't trust in themselves. They're not trying to make themselves. They're not professing, I am a self-made woman. No, guys, they are trusting in the name of the Lord. Meekness is not natural to us. It is not natural to us at all because, guys, we are carnal beings. When something comes up against us, our natural tendency is to lash out. I want to retaliate. I want to get back. I want to do these things naturally. But, guys, meekness requires daily discipline and practice. Constant constraint. To not be conformed to society and what our natural draw is, but to focus on God working through us and what he says. It's placing that power that we have to naturally lash out and submitting it to the authority of our great God. So how does meekness help us as a disciple of Christ? We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 25 where we read about David, Nabal, and Abigail. Starting at chapter First um, Samuel chapter twenty five verse twenty three says this. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face. Now before this, we see an example of meekness. Another example of meekness in Scripture when we read in First Samuel chapter twenty five about David, Nabal, and Abigail. Nabal, his name means fool. He was a foolish, foolish man. And he has this interaction with David. Abigail is his wife. And Nabal, he refuses. David asks him to feed his men. Nabal refuses to feed David and his men after they had graciously watched over his flocks and his shepherds. Nabal's servants, they see this foolish act. They see what he's done and they go to his wife, Abigail. And this is what Abigail does. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey. She fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. 
So she fell at his feet and said, O oh me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. How does Abigail show meekness in this? She shows us a picture of surrender. She understood that her husband had made a foolish mistake and she took her pride and she humbled herself before David. She saw what was wrong and she humbled herself. And there was a benefit to that, which is the same benefit that happens to us when we choose to be meek. When we truly surrender control to the Lord, we are led directly into our next be attitude, which develops within us a hunger and thirst for more of the Lord. That next be attitude tells us, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God uses the natural to explain the spiritual. We see this with our hunger and our thirst. Just as we die without food and water in the, in the physical, we die spiritually when we don't feed our spirit. Some of us get hangry when we don't eat food, that that someone is me. And I know that many of you listening, that someone is you too. The same sort of thing happens with our spirit. But many of us, just as we mistake the reason we're, we're angry when we're actually hangry, we can mistake the reason we're frustrated all the time. We're frustrated because we are not satisfying that hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're trying to fill it with other things. And this beatitude, it acknowledges our hunger and thirst, that it's there and says we should be feasting on righteousness. Feeding our spirit by feasting on righteousness gives us a sense of purpose and meeting, meaning. You know, what are ways that, that we should be feeding our spirit? Well, we feed our spirit by reading our Bible every day. We feed our spirit by praying every day. Guys, it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing, but it certainly has to be more than the verse of the day. It's thoughtfully considering God's word, it's pouring over it, just as we might pour over the lyrics of a song that we can't get out of our head. We think about it. We figure out how can we apply it? How do, what does this mean to me? How is it personal? What is God showing me? And we feed on these things. We feed on prayer. 
We feed on God's promises. We feed on creation. We feed on the work that he's done, the prayers that he has answered. We feast on these things. Friends, we are not blessed if we hunger and thirst for things other than righteousness because those things will never fulfill us. We might be hungry for a sugary snack, but I promise you we do not leave feeling satisfied. And if we think we are, we're wrong. It's just because we have built in this habit where we are consuming this sugary stuff and it's really wrecking havoc on our insides and making us sick. We all have this empty pit we're trying to fill. But unless it's being filled with the righteousness of God, it's still empty no matter how much we try to stuff in that space. We might be trying to stuff, we might be trying to feed on success, on a promotion at work, on um, being at all the things, saying yes to everything and being everything to everyone. Um, all of these things, we might try to feed on addictions and, and popularity and, and, and all of this, trying to stuff it in these spaces and we're left still hungry, craving more. We're, it's like drinking a sugary soda. Guys, you're not satisfied. It doesn't quench your thirst. You need that water. You need something that's really going to quench that thirst and nourish your body. Hungering for righteousness and having a sacred desire for Christ alone develops an intimacy, an intimacy with Jesus, and it lays the foundation of our faith. This hunger develops, it helps us develop a life that pushes aside distractions that do not satisfy this hunger. When we start to really feast on, we feed our spirit, we feast on the things of the Lord, it is remarkable how the things of this world, they just sort of fade away. Suddenly, um, accolades by man, that applause that we're seeking from our peers, suddenly it's not quite so prestigious. Maybe that uh, climbing the corporate ladder, yes, it's great to be successful, but maybe that's no longer our idol. Now we start to worship the Lord and, and suddenly he's bringing things into line and he's showing us our true purpose as we start to, to look into his word and he's revealing things to us that we have never seen before. And those distractions, they start to fade. Several years back, I, I did a very rigid Daniel fast. Only vegetables and water for 21 days. Prior to going in to that, I, I could eat sugar and not be bothered by it. I love, I love chocolate, guys. Chocolate, I got to be careful. I could just eat and eat and eat. But after this fast, I started to be able to taste sugar in jarred spaghetti sauce. And it repulsed me. It absolutely repulsed me. I didn't want it. I pushed it away and I wanted those vegetables again. The same is true when we hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. Our appetite is being changed. And the things that we that were empty and had no value are suddenly distasteful. And, and we, we don't want them. We want more and more of what truly satisf satisfies our hunger. A question to ask ourselves is, what am I feeding on? Where am I at right now? Am I feeding on status? Am I feeding on success? Am I feeding on career? Am I feeding on my family? Am I feeding on education? Am I feasting on old hurts, old habits, old hangups? And where am I looking 
to find satisfaction. Guys, it is the, the most simple and most com most simple and most difficult thing to rearrange our life and start to develop that hunger, feast, feed our spirit and help to develop that hunger and thirst after righteousness. But guys, it, it's time that is well spent and it is time that you will forever need to guard. I remember whenever I started really wanting to figure out how to spend time with God every day. I told God, I don't have time for you. I have five minutes in my day for you. And I remember in that moment, I felt this reassurance. That's enough, Jessica. That's enough. Just go ahead and, and give me those five minutes. And so I did. I got up. I set my alarm. I got up five extra minutes and I spent time. I think I did like two minutes of Bible reading and three minutes of prayer, or maybe it was vice versa. It doesn't matter. It was very minimal and very embarrassing that I couldn't even find five minutes for my creator. But those five minutes over time, guys, have developed and more and more time. It, it, I'm yearning for more and more time with God. And it is what I long for every day is just to be with our creator. And what I thought I had zero time for now has become a priority to my day. The number one priority in my day is to get time with our Lord. And it is the same as true for you. When we really try, God will develop that hunger and thirst for righteousness, but it requires, guys, we can't get that hunger and thirst. It requires that meekness. Yes, I could spend my time. You could spend your time running after things of this world and trying to become this great woman of status, this great woman at the office, all of these great things. But guys, remember, meekness is power under control. I'm not demonizing a great career by any means. But what I am suggesting to you is to make sure that you are pursuing those things with a meekness in your heart, understanding and submitting your power to the authority of our great, great father. And you will find friends that you are going to yearn for more time with him as he opens up that hunger for righteousness. And that is going to lead us into the next be attitudes that we are going to look into in our next study. And I hope that you will choose to make time to carve time out. And I hope that you are enjoying this study so far as we are looking to see what does a Christian life really look like? A Christian life, the takeaways we are taking today, it is power under authority. It is power under control and submitted to the authority of our Father. It is a strong and resolute woman. And it is a woman who hungers and thirsts after the righteousness of God. And guys, there is always a better way. There's always more meekness to obtain. There is always more that we can fill ourselves when it comes to our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. Because just like we said, guys, this is not a checklist. This is a process and there is always a deeper place to go. So think about these this next week. Really look through the questions that I asked. Be honest with yourself. 
Take them to God and ask him to open up your eyes to ways that you need to be demonstrating meekness, to really open up to you what it means to be meek, to see what it is that Abigail demonstrates to us, to, to see, to magnify the meekness that we see demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And ask him to show you ways that you can start feeding, start feasting, filling that hunger and that thirst that your spirit really has. Until next time, guys, remember, we are working to harness our gift of free will one choice at a time. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. If you found this episode helpful, share it. And please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, you can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. Check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.